Welcome to Idlewild Cottage, a quiet place where kindred spirits can linger together over a cup of tea, savoring all things lovely and cozy. My name is Juliana, and I'm delighted to have you. Each episode here at the cottage will center around a theme. That theme will be celebrated in a number of ways, through literature, art, nature, and even some favorite movie scenes, we'll cherish the sweet and simple things of life. So make yourself at home, and I'll put the kettle on. As we step into a month that is traditionally set aside as a tribute to love, we'll look at a variety of loving relationships, both in literature and on the silver screen. If you're listening to this episode on the day of its airing, February 7th, then today is the birthday of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And so I thought it would be fitting this week to celebrate the love shared between sisters. For, as 19th century poet Christina Rossetti wrote, there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather. Laura and Mary Ingalls knew this friendship, which was filled with both the joys and frustrations of living in constant close quarters. They battled the typical jealousies and rivalries, yet they loved each other deeply. This is evidenced all the more tenderly in the little house books after Mary loses her sight, and Laura, in many ways, becomes her sister's eyes. We see an acknowledgement of their growth in Little Town on the Prairie. When the morning's work was done, Laura took Mary walking over the prairie. Spring flowers were blossoming and cloud shadows were trailing over grassy slopes. It was odd that when they were little, Mary had been the older and often bossy. But now that they were older, they seemed to be the same age. They liked the long walks together in the wind and sunshine, picking violets and buttercups and eating sheep sorrel. Before she ate sheep sorrel, Mary always asked, Did you look carefully? You're sure there isn't a bug on it. There never are any bugs, Laura said. These prairies are so clean. You look just the same, said Mary. I don't want to eat the only bug in the whole of Dakota Territory. They laughed together. Mary was so lighthearted now that she often made such little jokes. Her face was so serene in her sunbonnet. Her blue eyes were so clear and her voice so gay that she did not seem to be walking in darkness. As I've shared in the past, my sister and I grew up very much under the influence of all things Little House. Accordingly, we often dressed in prairie costume and roamed the house by candlelight. We did most things together and looked very much alike as we did so, to the point where we became accustomed to having people ask if we were twins. Well, one evening we concocted a plan to see if we really could pass as twins. We swapped our little house nightgowns, we rehearsed our lines, and we decided to test our theory on our brother. Surely he would be none the wiser if Krista casually approached him in my nightgown and struck up a perfectly natural conversation such as, Hey Johnny, it's me, Juliana. <laughs> well, Johnny was not fooled. But a great many other people still continued to mix us up, and do to this day, so we were okay with accepting this minor defeat. Two girls who would not accept defeat actually were twins. Well, that's not entirely true, because both girls in this scenario are Haley Mills. Haley Mills as twins Susan and Sharon who switch places in the 1961 Disney movie 
The Parent Trap One of my favorite scenes is when the girls attempt to recreate their parents' first date, complete with Italian music and drippy candles. Sharon sits primly at the piano, preparing to perform a stirring rendition of Beethoven's Fifth, while Susan prefers the much more groovy strains of the guitar. Susan finally suggests a compromise. You give a little, I'll give a little, resulting in the memorable Let's Get Together number. I only recently learned that this movie is based on a 1949 German novel called Lisa and Lottie. Of course, this means I am now eager to track it down. Another book adapted for the silver screen is Elizabeth Googe's 1944 Green Dolphin Street. Googe pens the 19th century saga of two sisters living on an island in the English Channel who bear the consequences of being confused for one another. Now, I'll mention right off that this book isn't what one might consider a cozy read, but Googe writes with such insight and depth of feeling that one can't help but sense its beauty. In the opening chapters of this story, we see that teens Marianne and Marguerite can hold a fierce love for each other, though throughout the novel, their relationship is more tempestuous than harmonious. Marguerite followed Marianne out of the garden into the storm. The wind rushed and swirled among their petticoats. It ripped Marguerite's bonnet off her golden curls and blew Marianne's cloak right up over her head. Laughing, they clutched each other to keep steady. Impulsively, Marianne held her little sister and kissed her. As she did so, there came to her one of those flashes of heightened awareness, moments that she awaited with such longing and when they came, clutched at with a greedy strength. But she could not hold her moment. For all her strength, it had gone before she could know what it was for. A much more familiar and gentle relationship is that shared between Joe and Beth March. Here we see a strength that is vastly different from Marianne's. It's a strength that is not selfish, but mutual. Joe needs Beth's quiet patience and gentleness. Beth needs Joe's strength and ambition. As we saw in last week's episode, this tie is drawn from reality. In her 1909 biography, Louisa May Alcott, Dreamer and Worker, Belle Moses shares the following from Louisa's journal, written when Elizabeth had fallen ill. Betty loves to have me with her. She says she feels strong when I am near. In the book, Little Women, it is Beth herself who draws a fitting bird metaphor for each of the sisters while visiting the seashore with Joe. Dear little bird, see, Joe, how tame it is. I like the peeps better than the gulls. They are not so wild and handsome, but they seem happy, confiding little things. I used to call them my birds, and Mother said they reminded her of me, busy, Quaker-colored creatures, always near the shore and always chirping that contented little song of theirs. You are the gull, Joe, strong and wild, fond of the storm and the wind, flying far out to sea. Meg is the turtle dove, and Amy is like the lark, trying to get up among the clouds, but always dropping down into its nest again. Now, if four daughters in one home present as many distinct and vibrant personalities, imagine the drama in a home of five girls. 
The personalities of the Bennett sisters are especially thrown into relief at the Netherfield Ball in Chapter 18 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Here we see the lovely eldest, Jane, with, quote, a smile of such sweet complacency as sufficiently marked how well she was satisfied with the occurrences of the evening. Lizzie, meanwhile, passes the evening with poised wit, candor, and some degree of distress as Mr. Collins leads her through a series of mortifying dances. Later, when singing was talked of, we discover Sister Mary's inability to read the room. Lizzie is back in the realm of mortification as Mary, whose powers were by no means fitted for such a display, insists on delighting the company by taking her place at the piano. Meanwhile, the BBC miniseries reveals the silly younger sisters, Kitty and Lydia, prancing about the room, much to Lizzie's further embarrassment. We read, To Elizabeth, it appeared that, had her family made an agreement to expose themselves as much as they could during the evening, it would have been impossible for them to play their parts with more spirit or finer success. It is no wonder that, in cases like these, two sisters among the five find that they are truly kindred and form an inseparable bond. Jane and Lizzie understand each other and share mutual confidences they wouldn't dream of sharing with the others. Though Jane and Elizabeth are eventually separated to some degree by marriage, there are two noteworthy sister pairs who remain inseparable. The first are the Jenkins sisters of Elizabeth Gaskell's 1853 book, which is also a BBC series, called Cranford. Though they are elderly spinsters, the older Miss Jenkins still holds sway over the younger Miss Maddie. Written from the perspective of their house guest, Mary, we read here of the ladies' efforts to embrace elegant economy and protect their new carpet. The greatest event was that Miss Jenkins had purchased a new carpet for the drawing room. Oh, the busy work Miss Maddie and I had in chasing the sunbeams as they fell in an afternoon right down on this carpet through the window. We spread newspapers over the places and sat down to our book or our work, and lo, in a quarter of an hour the sun had moved and was blazing away on a fresh spot. Down again we went on our knees to alter the position of the newspapers. We were very busy to one whole morning before Miss Jenkins gave her party, and following her directions and in cutting out and stitching together pieces of newspaper so as to form little paths to every chair set for the expected visitors, lest their shoes might dirty or defile the purity of the carpet. Another delightful book and BBC series is Lark Rise to Candleford. The noteworthy sisters here own a dress shop and very much pride themselves in parading about Candleford in their Paris finery. On Sundays, the two Misses Pratt displayed the cream of their stock upon their own persons in church. They were tall, thin young women with frizzy Alexandra fringes of straw-colored hair. At the font, they had been given the old-fashioned names of Prudence and Ruth. But for business purposes, they had exchanged them for the more high-sounding and up-to-date ones of Pearl and Ruby. Miss Ruby ran the dressmaking department, and Miss Pearl reigned in the millinery showroom. 
both were accepted authorities upon what was being worn and the correct manner of wearing it. The Smith sisters knew how to use fashion to their advantage, too. In Meet Me in St. Louis, which also happens to be both a book and a movie, we see how Rose and Esther are firmly united, whether it's in an attempt to monopolize the dance floor for the sake of the family, or, as in this moment from the book, in consoling each other over the prospect of moving away. Upstairs, Rose and Esther were in the bedroom they shared. Esther lay across the double bed, and Rose walked nervously about the room. I think I could give up anything easier than giving up our darling room, Rose said. I know, Esther said. We've just finally got about everything we've wanted for it. Rose said softly, It's about the prettiest room I ever saw. And the way the sun comes in almost all day, Esther said. And the way the honeysuckle vines have crept right up to the window. Remember we never thought they would? Rose asked. There's no denying it. No matter where we go, it won't be the same. She flung herself down beside Esther, and they held one another tight. Esther's tears felt warm against her sister's cheek. Since this story takes place in the early 1900s, let's wrap up our sister's study with an art feature from the same era. English artist Ralph Peacock painted The Sisters in 1900. Edith and Ethel, the girls who sat for this portrait, could represent any number of the beloved sister duos we've looked at today, but I think I most see Joe and Beth in their sweet faces as the older looks at a book and the younger rests her head peacefully on her sister's shoulder. With this tender scene in mind, let's close our time together by looking at the theme of love found in Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Just as an older sister bends down to help the younger, so our Heavenly Father bends down in faithful love and expectation, eager to hear the voices of his children. Kindred spirits, I thank you for joining me today. Please come again soon to Idlewild Cottage.